Welcome to Alaskwatch, the show all about Bigfoot in the great state of Alaska. I'm your host, Beans Baxter. So lace up your boots, zip up your coat, and come with me on an adventure as we explore all things cryptid in the last frontier. All right, Rock Boy, bring us in. All right. Live from Fairbanks, Alaska, the second annual Boreal Bigfoot Expo podcast, Alaska Alaskwatch, with Larry Beans Baxter, Alex Petikoff, and myself, Rob Roy Menzies. And now, here's Larry. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming. This is, we're like, if you can't tell, this is the first time we've done this, or at least the first time I've done this. Um, it's uh, it's a little bit of a, a fiasco up here with the wires and stuff. Uh, we've got a live feed going out to YouTube, so if you guys don't want your voice broadcast over YouTube, remain silent. Uh, if you don't care, feel free to clap. Shell, yeah, shell yell at us. Yeah. Throw tomatoes, yeah. whatever. Yeah, Take your shirt off and throw it at Rob Roy. Please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit today about area a and some of the stuff that we've experienced out there uh, i thought it was a unique opportunity to get us all three in the same room at the same time and talk about some of that stuff going on out there uh for those of you that don't know i think alex is probably you're probably going to talk about it in your presentation correct yeah i think we're just going to be showing the the yeah. movie more so than yeah. talking about it but we'll so, do it. we're going to be doing a q a yeah. afterwards because i told so. him during my presentation like i'm just going to do a little bit on area a because you're going to get area a to death yep. you guys will um, get it a lot yeah, yeah. Yep. so i talked about it a little bit during my presentation rob roy talked about it during his uh rob roy actually if you're here at the boreal bigfoot expo here in fairbanks alaska at the carlson center rob roy has a cast at his table of a footprint that was uh, cast at the Area A cabin. We can talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, three, we're three casts. Yeah, actually, I have three casts. But the two little. Don't ones. tell me there were three casts. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me there were three crabs. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they can't hear it, but I just did a rim shot. The <laughs> so anyway. Um, so let's just uh, start down there at the end with, with Alex. Mr. Alex, and, what can uh, you tell us? Just kind of tell us about your introduction to Area A and some of your uh, thoughts on it and what happened when you went out there, man. Yeah, so the first time I was introduced to the idea of Area A, I believe, was I had you, Beans, on my podcast. Oh, gosh, this must have been March or April of 2021. So I had just come back from a trip in the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. We were out there with the Olympic Project. And I had heard just, you know, kind of rumors about this place before, but nothing concrete. I had Beans on my show, and he told me about this location. And then it was like within a week or two, I got an email from a gentleman named Scott, who is the owner of this property. He said, hey, you know, I've listened to your podcast. I heard the one you had Beans on. He just kind of, we started kind of, in, he introduced himself, essentially. He was originally from the New England area, as I am. He lived in New Hampshire, very close to where I live now, actually. So we had that connection. And uh, basically, the story went, this property was uh, very far off the grid in the Kenai Peninsula, over an hour boat ride to basically get there. Um, and just the amount of sounds and stuff he was sending me was very intriguing. And what, what also intrigued me at the time was 
David Ellis, who's a researcher with the Olympic Project, was the one who had analyzed a lot of the sounds. Mm -hmm. And having just met David, this was again in, in 2021, a couple weeks before this, I knew David. I said, oh, David was involved. This makes me even more interested. And I started listening to the sounds, uh, blew my mind. It's a lot of the stuff that you have on the soundboard if you're here mm -hmm. at the Bigfoot Expo. Rob Roy has it as table. You can put the headphones on and listen to it. Just the whole story. And Scott was like, hey, if you don't believe me, talk to my friend who had ex an experience out there. And he was kind of throwing people at me to get me to talk to them. I said, hey, you know, okay. Um, I, I talked to a number of people who have had experiences. And obviously, I was in touch with Beans about it, too. And the story seemed very credible. I've done a lot of Bigfoot stuff across the U.S. So you've got to be skeptical at times and you don't believe everything you get told. I've been let down plenty of other times, but this was really intriguing and I thought it was interesting. And then it wasn't until almost a year later, May of 2022, so just a year ago, that we actually went out there for almost nine days. Rob Roy was there for a part of it. Um, Eli, who's outside uh, at, our, at our table here at the expo was also there, as well as our friend Ron Reed and the, the property owner Scott and uh, his friend John. And we went out there and had a lot of weird stuff happen, but yeah, that's long story short, that's kind of my introduction to Area A or the Alaska Cabin. We've kind of called it mm -hmm. a, a few different things, but uh, it took about a year almost from when I heard about it to get out there, and uh, it was pretty much I was looking forward to it the whole year uh, and doing stuff in between, but uh, got to become friends with Scott, and I think he's a great guy, and uh, it's kind of this whole situation just sort of fell into his lap, I'd say. He just wanted to build a cabin to go fishing with his friends and enjoy and weird stuff started happening as is so often with the subject yeah he, he definitely didn't have bigfoot on the brain nope. uh, avid avid outdoorsman uh you know uh, hunts fish do you, you know, know why he was so good at hunting <laughs> i think we heard that quite a few times because he was hungry <laughs> <laughs> yep he won't yeah. let you forget no so, uh, Rob, tell us about the kind of your introduction to Scott and Area A. Well, I, I want to say it was Rob Alley who told me about Scott first and kind of got us hooked up with each other. Um, I don't, Rob Alley's another Bigfooter, well-known in Ketchikan. He's wrote some books, pretty good books. Um, but anyway, I got in contact with Scott over the phone. We had a short talk, and I happened to be speaking oh, in Palmer at the uh, Muskox Farm. And he agreed to meet me there and listen to my presentation, and we would get together afterwards. Was it better than your presentation here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was good. It was a lot of fun. It was packed, actually. Um, uh, but I met Scott, and, you know, he was lingering in the back, very laid-back guy, pretty serious. Um, but then once I got to know him, the humor started coming out. He's a great guy. But he did kind of suck, seduce me with the audio this the, is a pg-13 show by the way well did, did i what did i say seduce yeah <laughs> i don't know it where you're going kinda, with it but it's pg-13 yeah we're not going there but it was a seduction <laughs> i was intrigued i couldn't believe the audio he was playing me uh and if those of you who are familiar with the sierra sounds it sounded like those um but and he agreed he said you got to come out um and I was, I was hoping he would say that too, but he did. I did. I went out there. Um, again, really, really laid back. I went out there the first time with three other guys working on the cabin. Um, but the whole way out there, uh, you know, the it's just so pretty out there, Bigfoot or not, it's gorgeous. But there is immediately started hearing things, not all the time, but you know, we were there for three days. 
heard my first tree knocks the first night. I, I talked about that earlier. Um, that to me was really epic. Scott's heard it before, um, but there was a, there was a lot a lot of things I have not experienced that I've now experienced at Scott's, which I'm very grateful for. So one of the things I want to touch on um, about your one of your I believe it was your first trip out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're kind of on the the little point there by the by the mm -hmm. water, mm -hmm. uh, and you hear. I, your first tree knock. Yep. And something I want to I want to talk about with this is your first tree knock here is it, it there was kind of a unique aspect of it that you don't often hear with a lot of tree knock um, experiences. So you hear the knock, but then you hear debris yeah. falling. So it actually so something. I know there's a lot of debate if are they actually hitting the trees or are mm -hmm. they making a sound with their mouth yep. are they making a sound with their hands yep but you actually heard what sounded like debris like lit, leaves litter come out of the tree and yeah fall and, down. I, and i think because it was so quiet that evening i was the only one out there was no fire there's not no noise it was so quiet i was out there for maybe two hours total and uh i mean it was so loud it was just unbelievable but um it is kind of unique. You, there's, there's almost I want to say two different kinds of knocks out there. There's that hollow baseball bat knock, and there's and I talked to Scott about what we heard, what I heard, my first knocks I heard, and we both kind of agreed it. It wasn't the hollow baseball bat. It was like a solid wood on wood. Yeah, um, which makes sense because we were getting to the the stuff falling off the trees. It wasn't like super loud. But it was like supernatural, not supernatural, but just if you hit a tree, stuff's gonna fall, especially that hard. If a, yeah. if a truck bumped into a tree real hard, stuff's gonna fall. And that's easily what I was hearing. It was just a, it was such a loud whack. Uh, and then the second time, it's same thing. Um, very legitimate. It, it, it scared me, uh, to be honest. It kind of scared me. So. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your fear. Mm -hmm. So you're you're you're, stay, you're out there by yourself, or you thought you were by yourself. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get into that. But you thought you were by yourself. Yeah. And you hear this, your first tree knock ever. Yep. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you say you thought in your mind when you heard it, you thought that was directed at me? Yeah, it was definitely. I think what scared me after the second whack, it was exactly like the first one. It, it, so it wasn't like a freak thing I'm hearing. I mean, I knew what I heard the first time. It just shocked me. Uh, but it was um, it was just so loud. And uh, mm, it was just um, pretty incredible. I, I want to say, I, you know, I looked at my watch, too, and it was 1230. And it happened right after I thought I better go to bed. And it was like they're reading my mind or something. Not that they're reading yeah. my mind, but it took me by surprise. And I mean, it, it was just—it was awesome. It was awesome. And but you weren't alone out there because no, the and owner was actually—he had come out. Scott, so you and I didn't himself. hear him. I think I was just shocked. And well, he was—he walked out. I didn't hear him walk out. Um, he heard the wax, and then I come—I come, not running, but almost running, and then we both. Yep, you know, talk to each other. Oh my God! Oh my God! And we we also both joke about wow. The whole the whole time we never once looked through the thermal camera. We were both just too. Yeah. Too oh, I've got a whole story about that with poor Chad. That's a yeah. thing. But uh, but you were asking about yeah. the whole time I was standing out there. I did not feel like I was being watched. I didn't feel creeped out. I was actually like, oh boy, uh, you know, I'm not going to hear anything. Yeah. This is my luck. 
you know, I hear all these stories. Everybody's telling, oh my God, Bigfoot screaming, oh, throwing rocks. I come out here, nothing, just yeah. crickets. But boy, was I surprised. It, I find it interesting. You, you, you mentioned the, the part about like, it was like they were reading your mind because uh, last year we were out there and uh, I had been helping around the cabin. I was doing a bunch of work and I, I was taking a break and I was sitting on the swing and I was just sitting there and there hadn't been a whole lot going on the last couple times I'd gone out there and I was sitting on the swing on the porch and I was like man and of course you know this it's Alaska it's a beautiful place people pay good money to go to places like this and I'm sitting on the porch going this sucks <laughs> you know like where are the Bigfoot at it's like Jurassic Park you, pay, you plan on having dinosaurs on this tour right <laughs> so I'm sitting on the porch and I'm kind of bummed I'm feeling sorry for myself because there's no activity and uh, it's broad daylight it's an afternoon and as soon as that thought popped in my head, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to come out here anymore. Maybe I should, like, concentrate on another area that I have some uh, activity in. As soon as I thought that, one of the crispest, clearest knocks I've ever heard hmm. come from behind the cabin. And I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a woo guy. You know, I'm not into, you know, telepathy, stuff like that. But the fact that you said, like, it's like they were reading my mind. And then as soon as I had that thought about like, oh, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I should take some time off from the cabin. And then I hear that knock. It's just a weird coincidence. Yeah. But some people say there's no such thing as coincidence. So who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, I I got to take Bigfoot one step at a time. Uh, you know, Bigfoot <laughs> by itself is something yeah. crazy. Let's, but let's ease into boy, the... Yeah, he's spiritual yeah. and paranormal. That's really... <laughs> Woo! That's let's, a hard... It's a big leap to make. Let's yeah. ease into the... Uh, Undiscovered primate species, right? And then, we'll, that we'll, first. then we'll get into and maybe they are. And maybe they have this dimension. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, um, definitely uh, that was a, that was a very epic first in, you know experience for me. Yeah. So, Alex, you have some unique experiences that that Rarboy and I don't. Is you've looked for Bigfoot all over the United States. I mean, you've been in a lot of different states. You probably have, have you been to every state. I've. I think I'm at like. I'm, I'm narrowing it down to I think four or five left states, and it's like a cluster of the midwestern states. But yeah, pretty much most of the rest of the country I've been to. So some of the areas that you've been to where you've had a lot of activity, uh, what are what are some things uh, between like area A and say another area like you've had activity with? What what are some areas? Do you see the similarities in those two types of environments? I mean, I the only thing I could say in terms of similarities would be that they are remote places that have plenty of water resources, whether that be uh, flora, fauna, things that are edible and conducive for large animals. A lot of thing I notice is places, especially in northern areas, whether they be where I'm at in the Northeast or the Rocky Mountains or parts of Canada, I find that if a place can support moose, which are one of the largest animals on the continent, that's usually a pretty good biological marker, at least for me, in terms of saying, okay, if it's possible to support these 1,200 pound giant you know creatures essentially pleistocene animals like the, the moose are there's probably a chance that a sasquatch or two might be able to exist in that area at least in terms of being able to support itself so that's one of the biggest patterns i've noticed um other than that it's been random I mean, we've had stuff happen and and when i say stuff i can't say 100 percent sasquatch this is just stuff that fits the mm -hmm. purported behavior so we're talking wood knocks whoops strange smells stuff getting thrown at you kind of histories of reports so lots mm -hmm. of sightings so places like bluff creek we've had stuff happen out there 
Um, but I think what's what's interesting about the cabin and, and that area of the Kenai Peninsula kind of sets it apart is just how remote it is. You don't have the possibility of somebody just say hiking in if it's a state forest or a national forest even like in the most remote parts of the lower 48 somebody could technically still hike in there you know whereas a place like the cabin that's very difficult so you're eliminating a lot of possibility of well that was just a human you know like yeah. if i had found a handprint in some cabin somewhere in new hampshire i obviously have to consider humans very much so as the culprit whereas a place like area a it's a 50 50 at that point that it's either one of us or there's no other people that are going to be out there essentially so um yeah i think the cabin the area around it kind of an area just stands alone it is that classic temperate rainforest sort of environment so similar to where you've talked about growing up in juno area i've seen forests like that down in british columbia washington state oregon all the way up until the redwoods in northern california and that's an area that has the most amount of sightings of Sasquatch really on Earth and some of the probably best habitat on Earth too, just to, in terms of you've got marine resources, you've got those inland resources, there's just a lot there. And the Kenai Peninsula, I think, is even more remote than some of these other areas. The only place I could say that matches it similarly would be parts of the BC coast and then mm -hmm. up into that Alaskan kind of panhandle. But uh, yeah, there's just so much there and that whole Prince of William kind of sound area just the history of sightings in that area too it's very intriguing and stories and i was just talking to a gentleman who had kind of grew up in that area and knew of stories and oh yeah he, I, I don't know if he's in here listening um but he had basically told me you know old timers used to say if you were in the woods and you smelt something weird and made you feel kind of scared back away you know different than a bear bears have their own smell too but this was something unique and it was very matter of fact apparently mm -hmm. back in yeah. the day so um, wow yeah that's neat to hear I have a question for you, Alex. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. You've heard a lot of weird things. Have you heard something in Area A that you've not heard? Yes, that's a great question. Um, so uh, obviously some of the recordings, the baby crying sound is probably the most intriguing to mm -hmm. me. Um, that's something I still can't wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. So for folks that aren't aware, there are some of the audio that's been recorded by the property owners of what sounds like crying, baby crying. You can hear it on the board out there that yeah, Rob Roy has. Yeah, it's on my board. And, and it, that was one of the things that initially really intrigued me, uh, especially knowing that it was it only happened when apparently women were around, and women aren't frequently out at the cabin. So I thought to myself, you know, statistically, what these guys are going out there all the time, right? You guys go out at least a couple times a season. Scott is out there pretty often with buddies, you know, mm -hmm. in between work and whatever. Why why haven't they heard anything like that when it's all just men there? Why statistically, if it's some kind of an animal, I would expect this at least to happen. What is it about the presence of, of females there that causes this? If it is another, if it is a regular animal, then that's a phenomena that's worth looking into itself. If it's an otter, why was a baby otter crying when there's human females around? Right? That's yeah. that's a mystery to me as well. But I didn't I haven't heard that audio personally. You know, in in my own hearing, but. It's just that concept is very intriguing. But uh, one of the things we did here out there were the, the mystery gunshot sounds. Mm -hmm. And that's not something I've heard elsewhere. I've heard wood knocks, I've heard mm -hmm. other, I've heard whoops, I've heard other stuff in other parts of the US, but the mystery gunshot seemed to happen. And you guys were talking about kind of your mind being read, but stretching to kind of coincidences, this, these mystery gunshots would happen when we were doing something, when mm -hmm. somebody steps out of the cabin, or when no we when we stepped out of the wood right. line to get back I into the that? boat to come back to the other side of the bay, right. these guys thought we shot a gun and they came out to rescue us in the boat and said, "Hey, did you guys shoot a gun? Wasn't us." 
And then one day I happened to step out. Everyone was sleeping. I think this was after you had left when we were there on our visit. Everyone was sleeping, taking like an afternoon nap. And I walk out on the deck and it was a hazy or like a foggy day. So it was mm -hmm. really cool because we had beautiful weather out there. It was very sunny. That was the only day where it was a little bit of rain drizzling and that spooky kind of coastal ambiance. Yeah. And I was just getting some video of it. And I see the sea line in the bay and I just happen to start filming it. And I hear just what sounds like a gunshot from kind of behind me. But the whole bay is almost like a sound amphitheater. So it's mm -hmm. hard to tell where it came from. But I thought, okay, that's, that's kind of weird. I go back in the cabin and one of the other guys, John, mm -hmm. he says, did you just hear that? Because he's upstairs in the bunk with his, uh, in, in one of the rooms with the window open. He said, I said, yeah, I did hear that. He said, well, I just heard two more as you were walking in. So I said, okay, that's kind of interesting. And that sort of stuff happens pretty coincidentally. I talked to David Ellis about it, who had, again, analyzed some of that initial audio that Scott had sent. And what he noticed about the sound was, we, if you take a gunshot sound, and you look at it in a spectrogram analysis where you're essentially looking at the the finer details of it it's 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 a pretty complex process and david certainly knows more than i do but he says you look at a gunshot technically there's two sound waves that come with it there's there's an initial boom and the after boom to the human ear that just sounds like one gunshot you know that just sounds gunshot that's it right well this sound only has one Boom. There's no there two characteristics don't show up. Hmm, yeah. And that's something he's talked about that's in other parts of the US that he's looked into. That sort of thing happens pretty frequently. So I thought that was intriguing and it happened twice, this mystery yeah, gunshot mm -hmm. thing while we we're out there. So hmm. I, I don't know what that is. People say, Oh, glacier ice cracking. I mean maybe, I, but it's so I heard it in Washington State. There's no there was no glaciers there. <laughs> right. So well, but, it's interesting. Um, what about the the rocks we heard? thrown and hitting the rocks and hitting the water have you ever heard that before so i've not heard that before i think just simply because of the coastal nature of where yeah. we were i mean i've heard it's not a I've heard rocks beach. being thrown i've heard that kind of stuff before mm -hmm. in other areas uh i've had seven or eight different objects hurled at my kind of near my tent in vermont in the wow. mountains um after hearing wood knocks you know and it just it is what it is but this was interesting so we're all hanging out up at the upper fire pit this will be in the film by the way which we'll be showing here in a little bit and we're goofing out at this point. It's been a couple hours. Oh, yeah. Rob Roy's doing impressions. I mean, he's one of the funniest <laughs> people I've ever met. So, uh, yeah, I had to cut out the audio prior to this incident because, you know, we're just goofing off. And we were pretty loose. Yes. We? <laughs> we, we, I mean, we were just There's a lot of choice laughing. words. It was, not, it was not a PG-13 yes. alley. Uh, we, we won't repeat that. Uh, but essentially, we're just sitting there goofing off. And, you know, everyone's got a thermal or a camera in their hands. And we're sitting around the fire. And then all of a sudden, I just hear this 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 really clunky kind of knock just come through and I said oh shh, shh everyone stop and we all stop and we proceed to hear what sounds like what I can only describe as rocks falling or being thrown and hitting stuff along the way and then smashing against rocks and then splashing into the water not just a sea lion splashing in the water where you hear that sort of splash we heard that too we heard yeah. believe me we heard plenty of sea lions I'm, yeah. Like a sea line audio expert at this point, after hearing all the overnight audio of them going, oh, in the yeah. middle of the night, you know, you think, oh, you got something? No, it's yeah. a sea line. But these rocks were really weird, and um, we tried to replicate it. And it really, I had to, you know, throw these rocks down onto the beach and let them smash into the the rocks and into the water. But the whole area is mossy, so yeah. the idea that something rolled down, we tried to roll rocks down. We couldn't find any rocks aside from the beach yeah, and around our fire them. pit. That's the other thing. That's There's the so rocks. Weird. You can't. You go into the woods. You cannot just find a rock. You got to look for them up there. Well, Everything's there, there was an instance where somebody I can't remember if it was you or, or maybe Scott found like a little 
cache of rocks. Yeah, uh, I did the first the first time I went out there. I noticed there were like three rocks in a stack. Kind of odd. I thought, but well, they don't look natural. Look like somebody put them there. Hmm. Okay, walk a little ways longer and kind of off trail, and there's a few more rocks just sitting there. Now there are there are stumps that tip over and expose dirt and rocks, but these were just sitting there, so it was a little odd. And that's you know people setting them out, collecting them, setting them out. But being that we've heard rocks being thrown, I've heard them twice now. Um, the first time I, I I was woken up, it was about three in the morning, and they were throwing rocks in the water, and they were to the right of the, if we're standing on the deck, they were to the right. And they were like throwing rocks at the skiff. Yeah. And we all ran out there, and when Scott, and I think it was a, a guy named Josh, ran out, I think they were still splashing. But as soon as they got out there, it stopped. And of course, that's when I walked out. Maybe yeah. it was because I walked and out. And they found them in the, in the, in in the, the boat, boat before. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not an uncommon thing out there, but it is Also the flat rock that was, when we, when we showed up on our visit last year, there was up by the upper fire pit, there was this flat rock just kind of sitting there. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, And we yeah, said, just, who put that there? And Scott couldn't there. figure it out. No, I didn't put it there. You didn't put um, I don't no, know. It could, it could just be, you know, that's sort of a happenstance kind of thing. It, it's really hard to say one way or another, but yeah. the rock throwing thing out there seems to be common. The first story Scott ever told me was seeing a, you know, football-sized rock horizontally fly out of the trees into the water. That was his one of his first things that he observed out there. And then finding the small netted rocks that they would use to uh, weigh down fishing nets. You know, they just take a rock from the beach, cover it in these plastic nets, and you can find them everywhere now, yeah. littering the shores. Yeah. I have a few at home. I kept them as like the Squatch Rocks, as Rob Royce calls them. Did you rocks. bring any? I did not. I, I've got a fresh batch I'm, I'm producing, but I sell them in my gallery for $13.99. Plug, yeah. But th those are cool because those are the ones that, you know, they would find inside the boat. Like Scott would talk about, they're going back, they're going back to port, and you know, they hear these noises at night, right? It's a clunk sound or some kind of what sounds like a knock on their way back to port. And they would just find these rocks inside the boat as they're cleaning it up and yeah. say, how the heck mm -hmm. did this get in there? It, yeah. it seems that they're, whatever it is, is fascinated with, with metal, you know, metal on metal, making a metal sound. And that's, it's interesting because that's not something that you can find in nature. Right. It's something mm -hmm. they can only, they can only make happen when, when the boats are around or, or whatever. And it seems like it's it's something that you know is dependent on us kind of to provide the material for them to make that sound, and um, it's it's fascinating. And then uh, there's the the storied uh, war uh, between Scott and uh, whatever was tearing up his uh, outhouse. Oh yeah, yeah, there. the outhouse incident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, um, you know the bathroom being they didn't clearly they didn't like the bathroom. From the beginning, it sounds like. Which sounds very, to me, sounds very territorial. Yes. I don't want you pooping in my living room or whatever, right. you know? Um, but to literally rip the toilet seat off this box, plywood box would take some kind of strength. Um, certainly if Even I if it was a bear, you'd expect a bear, more the, the, markings. The yeah. box would be moved, it'd be torn up. I mean, to you'd have to hold down the box the ply and pull on that toilet seat. It just seems crazy. But um, it happened more than once. Um, another thing was the, the foot cast, the footprint we found next to the bathroom. An hour prior to me finding it, Scott said something growled at him while he was going to the bathroom. And there were seven of us there at the time, uh, four younger guys, and the younger guy were all kind of out. He says, something just growled at me. Comes out of the trail, and his eyes were pretty big. You could tell he was excited. And we all, you know, the usual, was it a bear or a sea lion? He's like, no, he's getting kind of frustrated with us. 
Um, okay, we're all like, oh, I don't know. We didn't, you know, we didn't hear anything. So about an hour later, I go up to use the bathroom and um, doing my business. And I look over down. Now we've just moved the bathroom over, so this is one of these. You dig a hole, you put the box over, and then when you're done with that, you fill the hole, you dig a new hole. So we just dug a new hole. There was fresh dirt to the left, and uh, I, I I just kind of glanced down, and there was. Uh, about a 16 inch footprint. I mean, I could clearly see the toes, the foot, and I did say out loud, You gotta be kidding me. Because <laughs> um, I've been up, I've been out here so many, uh, several times and looking and looking and looking, and here it is, it just kind of came to me. I didn't have to do anything <laughs> um, but go to the bathroom, and there it was. And I was very skeptical. I even took a video of it right when I found it, and you can hear my voice calmly saying, Well, I guess it could be a couple guys stepped in the same place, but I was kind of in denial. Oh, you can see the toe. The, the, the big toe was freakishly big. I walked down. I asked the boys, yeah, where's Scott? Oh, he's in the shed. Okay, go in the shed. Hey, Scotty. He's like, hey, what's up? I said, I think I found a track. Where? I said, by the bathroom. Let's go. He was psyched. And we go up there. I won't exactly say what he said, but he was excited. <laughs> And he got down on his hands and knees, 12 inches from the track, and he said, that's a boop in wood ape. That's got pooping toes. And at that point, I, the relief, I kind of, now I can get excited. Because it was, I, you looked at it, I took, we got pictures of it, we took the cast. The cast is sitting on my T table up there. I Tell encourage us about you all the, to look at the, it. Tell us about the unconventional casting uh <laughs> so, but you know, Scott, Scott's not a Bigfoot guy, um, but he, you know, he's a smart guy. Uh, he, uh, the first time he found tracks at his cabin, he did not have plaster Paris. You know, he's not thinking that. But what he did have was spray insulation. And, you know, he's building a cabin, so he sprayed spray insulation in the best track. He found, I think he said, eight tracks going through the mud. Classic in a row, you know, he had, he had to really stretch his legs out to to make you know he said it was incredible so they sprayed the best track with the spray insulation and it kind of worked i actually have that as well it's in my car i didn't bring it out but um the size of it the shape you can see the heel you can see where the big toes is it's got this arch kind of thing it's like this deep in the mud it's pretty cool um but the cast so plaster paris he had one little thing of plaster paris when we found that second print and i've never cast a footprint before i should probably be in that class but now i've done it a couple of i was super excited i remember being super excited living the dream you know all these bigfoot documentaries i've seen in here i'm stirring the plaster and i'm like ah, oh, almost crying and we go up and i'm the reality setting in it was just this little thing of plaster paper, so it was not much and i know the size of the print and i'm like i'm stirring it going scotty i don't this isn't going to be enough he's like oh i think you're right and I said, spray insulation. Oh, yeah. So we poured all that plaster. It took the, all of it to cover the foot. And then we took the spray insulation and sprayed on top of it to keep it together. And anybody knows spray insulation, it balloons up like a big marsh. The thing got this tall. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it, and I was laughing. We took a saw, sawed off this excess. And sure enough, we, we it worked. We pulled it. It's wonderful. You can see dermal ridges, what appears to be dermal ridges, I should say. Um, on the pads, you can see some strange texture. Um, 
it's been looked at by a couple of other people and they claimed that it, it's, it looks legit. Um, and being that we know the story behind it, there was no shenanigans. Um, I don't know. You guys go look at it and you tell me. So that was, you uh, You pulled a MacGyver. Pulled a MacGyver. You didn't, you didn't have yeah. enough plaster? Not enough plaster. And I know it was thin. It was super thin. It would have cracked. Yeah. And But he has tons of them. Some of these the younger people are like, what's a MacGyver? <laughs> <laughs> it should be on duct, duct tape, I think. But yeah, so that was kind of that story. Um, beautiful, man, I held onto that cast too. You know, the boat ride back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like, this thing is, I was holding it, and, bam, bam, and uh, oh, did not want that thing breaked. And uh, I built a little little frame for it, my frame shop, so I could display it, and then, uh, and then it was that around that time, I finished the frame, have it in my store, awesome, I'm so thrilled. I own the Bigfoot Art Gallery, how happy can you be? I was like, oh, look at that, I know what's going on, I, I found it, it's awesome. So Scotty finally brings in the first cast that he did out of the spray insulation. And I've never seen it. He's told me about it, but I've never seen it. And I had the one that I found in the cast and the right here. He sets the safe down next to it. And we're looking at it. Going, oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty. Hmm, but you can see a heel. You can see where the heel is. And you can see where the big toe is. And as we're looking at this thing and we're talking about it, I kind of glance over at the other cast. And it was like a puzzle. It fit perfectly. You know, roll it over and stick it on the other it fit perfectly the toe you know where everything marked right was as wide as long and we thought do you think we got the same creature two years in a row and we've got a right foot and a left foot it's kind of interesting um, at least that's what I'd like to think but I don't know what else we don't have feet that big out there no um, Scott's uh, reaction to it was 100% uh, genuine so yeah. well Full disclosure, though, we did uh, a couple of years ago. We did cast a track out there, and then determined it was a boot print. Ellie Hansen. So it does it does happen. Yeah. Not everything is Bigfoot. No. Yeah. You, yeah. you could clear. And I'm telling you, when we made that that boot track, we we looked at we and by this time Scott has like pounds of plaster pairs out there. Now. He's like, oh, I'm not doing this mistake again. <laughs> so we're kind of looking at this track, and it does look a little interesting. It's in this super muddy spot of the property. Not like nobody would really step in there, but mm, I guess it's possible. Um, so Scotty's all casting anyway. You guys need to practice. So we're like, oh, yes, sir. <laughs> so we get in there. We we did, and we do. So we we cast it up, and uh, it was so obvious it was a boot. But and I've, I've, I couldn't tell until we got it yeah. out of the ground. After we, I should say, after we got it out, and we could look at it, you could take a Haley Hansen boot and just flip it over and go, yeah. Yeah, it's a good learning experience. It, is. it, it was so. good. I'm glad we did it. So I actually wish I would have kept that one and put it in my store. Yeah, too. I mean, it, it would have been a good. Uh, Just you yeah. know, look, this this real, this, this yeah. is a boot. Right. It's uh, interesting because you get that detail that comes out when you get the print yeah. out. I've had mm -hmm. times too where you know, you've got a track and it's kind of hard to see something, but then you actually when you lift it, a little bit more details revealed. Yeah, I think Meldrum could probably yeah. talk about that a little more. Yeah, yep. uh, we've got about. 10 minutes left here. Uh, Alex, I know we can't get out of here. We're talking about area. We can't get out of here without talking about the, the handprint. Yeah. So the handprint was really interesting. So uh, there's been a lot of talk in the Sasquatch research community about handprints and uh, possibility of there being an oily substance kind of that 
apes have, so humans have it as well as other gorillas, and it's kind of like when you're sweaty and you, you leave a little bit of an impression on yeah. something. Doug, that Doug Highcheck calls it albavernix. Albavernix, yeah, yeah. Doug Highcheck, Shelley Covington, some other researchers have kind of coined that term, Sasquatch albavernix, and the idea is maybe these creatures have a stickier hand substance, and it's something that's been reported on other mm. parts of the country and other parts of North America, too, but... Uh, one day, I think it was the second to last day, it was the same day as the mystery gunshots, I'm going to the back of the cabin in the woods just to switch out some audio recorder batteries because we've got audio recorders going the whole time out there. Just because you really never know out there if anything happens, hey, it's okay, we can go review it three hours in, that's where it happened, we have the audio. So I'm going to switch the batteries out and I'm getting back to the cabin and I'm thinking, man, look at the metal siding on this cabin, you know, it's looks pretty nice and I just start walking the side of it and I see right under the window which is the bunk room where there's three uh, beds and that's mm -hmm. kind of where usually most people sleep in and that's where there's been incidents in the past of something trying to break in before the cabin was built but um, or fully built and I see this weird looking handprint just kind of in this strange awkward position uh, right around eye level maybe just a little under if I can recall just there this kind of weird looking the fingers looked in like strangely positioned i thought okay that's kind of odd so i started looking around the rest of the cab and didn't find anything else like it so then i go get scott and i get everyone else i say hey guys i found this weird handprint let's just go check it out and we all go look at it and we're starting to look at it and say this is actually kind of unusual and we we're trying to compare you know where my uh, all of us kind of had average sized hands out there there weren't any ones that were freakishly tall or mm -hmm. freakishly short or anything so um yeah, this hand seemed to go from palm to finger. It was a couple inches longer than, than my hand. Not Nothing crazy, mm -hmm. but it just looked weird in the where, where it was. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I don't have the right tools to collect this evidence right now. Uh, I'd rather get somebody who does. So eventually, Beans came out. I think it was like less than two weeks after. Yeah, it was like, it wasn't. It wasn't a super quick turnaround, but it was like seven, eight days. Something yeah, like that. it was like, and it, it was, was still, it was still it was there, still very clear, super visible. So we had beans yeah. go out there, and he collected it, and you took swabs, and you also lifted the print, and yeah. basically he did what he would do if this was a kind of a crime scene investigation. They're trying to ID somebody, um, and the handprint is just interesting. It's I still look at it, and there's days where I'm saying, okay, it's. It's very convincing. I say, okay, maybe it's human, but the thing about it that I like those odds, it's 50-50. I mean, it's 50%. It's not a bear. Yeah, yeah. That's, there's no confusing with the local fauna or anything like that. It is 50% either one of us or something human-like, which supposedly are not supposed to be in Alaska. So yeah. that's the mystery of it all. Yeah, and you know, we were back there the, the year before and we were installing the gutters and putting in the rain uh, catcher system. I mean, for a person's handprint to stay there and stay, and it faded from the time you found it to when I found it, but yeah. it was still visible. But for it to have been put there the year before when we were back there working and to last that long and then to all of a sudden start to fade right after you find it, that's, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It really and, doesn't. And I remember when you guys told me about it, I walked back there and I looked at it. When I first saw it, I was kind of like, huh, hmm. I thought I didn't really think much of it. At first glance, it looks like a handprint, although it was kind of on the whitish size, I want to say, that oily stuff. But when I, I look really close at the thumb, remember it was, I think it, it was, was the you, thumb. You couldn't really see much of a thumb. It was, it was uh, 
Was it the dermal ridges were kind of strange? Wasn't oh it? yeah, the dermal. I mean, they were like straight across and versus that's ours what and it was. Circular. The, the yeah. whole thing had these really clear dermal ridges, and I have pictures of it. If anyone wants to swing by our table, I'll, and it'll be in the film later too. The whole the full documentation and mm -hmm. Beans uh, lifting it too. Um, it was just weird, and we sent it off to Doug Highcheck. We showed it to David Ellis, and one of the first I think Doug, uh, Scott had texted David Ellis with the uh, the inreach, the garment inreach, and the first thing David asked was, "Was there?" How visible was the thumb? And you know, not very visible. Okay, that's interesting. That's something that a lot of other people talk about. For whatever reason, the thumb not being there. But for for where it was, you know, the position you would have to have been in would have been putting your right arm down in this really awkward position, and there was a like the water tank the water or something. Tank, yeah. So you'd have to get over that. It just was a really strange place for a person to be, but. That bunk room is right there, so maybe that's an interest. I mean, I know when we were there, we kept the window open and the and the the shades not on. And Scott says no one really ever does that. Everyone's scared of something mm -hmm. coming in, especially since they had something try to break yeah. in during the first year. Um, so I I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I sent the the handprint off to a couple of people who do primate dermatoglyphics, which are those lines you have in your hand. If you look at your hand right now, you'll see that. And uh, the consensus was human-like, most likely probably a human. Oh, if you're out there doing hard labor, you know, the pores in your hands and those lines will be more visible. But the only way we could replicate anything like that was putting lotion on your hand and pressing it up against the side of the cabin for it to stick for that mm -hmm. amount. I mean, humans, I don't think produces much oil as even some of the other primates so it's interesting, interesting. yeah well i know scott recently the last one of the last trips he, he made he found more not not a defined handprint like like you found but he found more similar marks next Fingers, to the window yeah, yeah. like up above and even higher i don't know i wonder my theory is is that it's probably happening after we leave and they're maybe do maybe they're slapping the cabin or something to see if uh there's anybody inside or to get a reaction that's that's my personal theory is it's probably happening when nobody's there but yeah. uh yeah it's interesting it's always in that same around that same room where the cooler story happened for those of you that heard my presentation earlier where the cooler got shoved across the room um and it's you know it's in the it's behind the cabin so there's easy you know egress up the hill uh it's it's, it's an interesting story i don't know I, I don't know so let me ask you guys this as we start to wrap it up just kind of give me your it will go down the line again give me your final thoughts on one uh what what do you think is going to happen out there and two uh what are your well let's do what are your hopes for area a and, and then what do you think is going to happen out there oh that's a that's a tough one that's a so. loaded question there <laughs> we're obviously we're going out there for the next couple weeks um soon here I think just last year almost to me felt like a scouting trip. You know, we kind of learned to lay the land a little bit, figured out, well, okay, maybe this is an area we want to focus in on. My hope is that we're able to get some kind of visual documentation, but also pair that with, say, a handprint or a footprint or maybe some hair that we're able to send off. There's a guy doing a, a, a pretty broad DNA study on alleged Sasquatch samples uh, right now, and I've, I'm in communication with him, and he's wel welcome to take any samples we find. So I'm hoping we find, you know, not if you've got a thermal video, you know, that'd be great, but nowadays in the, in the age of AI, that's not going to be good enough. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to, say, get a piece of footage, couple that with... DNA 
and another part of it, uh, some kind of other evidence, visual or um, audio or something like that, you have three layers essentially of a piece of evidence to corroborate one sort of incident. So that's my hope that we get something interesting. We're going to be trying a lot the baby crying stuff. We're going to have a female researcher with us as well. And I'm really hoping to kind of experiment with that and see if that has any effect on this weird baby crying thing. Still is one of the things that intrigues me the most about Area A, but uh, I'm hopeful and I guess we'll have to see, but we'll either way we'll be documenting it quite heavily as we're out there. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I uh, Boy, there's times out there where I think, sort of the last trip, um, well, almost to the point we'll never see them out there. I, I, I just think they're too stealthy. And I'm not saying we are. I hope that we do. My hope is I get to see one. I finally get verification, get to see one, um, which is why I, I participate and go out there as much as I can. Um, but after I've been out there a number of years, I'm kind of real, man, that the way of the land there, they'd already know we're coming when we're, before we're there, because they're up high. Um, the cabin is low, everything up behind it is up high. So they, they instantly have an advantage. The way the terrain just kind of goes up and down, there's trees and there's things everywhere. It just like, I could be standing 10 feet away from beans and literally just duck down in this a little yeah. dip. We, we've done little experiments out there where yeah. somebody will walk a little ways and just lay, set down or lay down and they're just gone. So it gets a little frustrating because <laughs> we spend a lot of eyes on out there and we don't see anything, but then you hear stuff and we put a recorder out at night and we get all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but to see something, so I think that's the next level. I mean, I'm not trying to say I won't, but gosh, it's it's kind of discouraging. Because you just, I don't, you hear him, you hear him, you hear him, you don't see him. Um, you can just say you don't believe, Rob Roy. Oh, that's I believe. Easy, I've that's the easy him. way out. I just want to see just, not just let me see Same one. here. I'm, I'm right in the same boat yeah, with you. That's it. Yeah. This that's topic simple. can be very disappointing, but yeah. very rewarding, small percentage of the time. It definitely <laughs> would take a lot of, you'd have to be so lucky to just step out there one day and see one i just yeah. can't see that happening no, i'm i'm same boat i'm you know i say i'm in this for myself uh you know i i know that the likelihood of me proving it to the world is is probably not going to happen but if i could prove it to myself that mm -hmm. that, that would that's all that really would satisfy me too it's just a verification uh, even if you know the the dna samples yeah. i collected if those come back when when and if we get the results uh if those would come back as something other than human that would probably be enough for me right there just because i was so involved with the collection process and i know it was done right right and if we could get so i told my wife i was like you know depending on those results you know we're going to get some champagne because yeah, so, no that would probably be it for me i'd yeah. be like they're real that's it and so it's a good milestone yeah yeah, yeah. But anyway guys uh we're going to have to clear out of here so that the next speaker can come in uh if you're in the fairbanks area come and see us we're going to be here till i think doors close here at 6 p.m but we're going to be here all day again tomorrow uh we've got a lot of exciting things going on tomorrow tomorrow dr meldrum speaking oh boy um there's going to be some more small town monster shenanigans mm -hmm. i believe uh red grossinger is going to speak tomorrow uh it's going to be a fun time uh, we look forward to seeing everybody that's here today back tomorrow hope you're enjoying this thank you for saying on this live first ever history making uh at the boreal bigfoot expo live alaska watch podcast and uh we're gonna get out of here thank you so much for coming feel free to clap for these guys alex Petikov, rob roy minzies i'm beans baxter thank you guys so much Woo. and 